tonight, Ottawa is ordered to bring home four men from a Syrian prison that holds suspected ISIS fighters. The ruling to help return the Canadians. I can't tell you how huge that is. Including one at the center of an international controversy. A sinister plot to kill police in British Columbia. And they were motivated by anti-authority beliefs. New details about a violent bank heist and brothers bent on mass murder. Plus, reaching for the stars. Canada's perfectly positioned geographically to offer those services. Ready for takeoff, a new pitch to boost Canada as a launching pad to space. CTV National News with Omar Sachedina reporting tonight, Sandy Ronaldo. Good evening. Four Canadian men jailed overseas in dire conditions without a charge or a trial must be brought home. That's the order from a federal court judge. They're in Syria and one of them once admitted to joining ISIS. It was probably the stupidest thing I've ever done. I never killed anyone though and I've never taken anyone as slave. I never, I've never even hurt anyone in ISIS. Jack Letts was a teenager when he traveled to Syria and has been jailed for nearly six years. CTV's Judy Trin now on the ruling, ordering Ottawa to act. Sally Lane received the good news about her son in an email. It was, we won in the subject line, and then in the body of the email, it was 10 exclamation marks. And that's all I needed to know. In an 85-page decision, a federal court judge ruled Canada must repatriate Lane's son, Jack Letts, and three other men from a prison in northeast Syria. Detainees in the camps and prisons are experiencing explosions, riots, and malnutrition. Women and children get to walk around, but not Letts, who has been in prison since 2017. He was in a cell for with 30 other people, but there were only five beds, so most people uh, slept on the floor, um, that they got no exercise at all. In his ruling, Justice Henry Brown wrote that the condition of the Canadian men are even more dire than those of the women and children, and that leaving them was unacceptable from a charter point of view. It reestablishes the principle that the rights of Canadians, no matter where they are in the world, uh, if the charter rights of Canadians are, are being breached, are being infringed, and the Canadian government has the ability to bring those Canadians home, then that's what they should do. Let's had dual Canadian-British citizenship. After the media in the UK labeled him Jihadi Jack, his British citizenship was revoked. No evidence of terrorism was presented for any of the men in the federal court case, but charges may be laid once they return. So I would expect with these men that the Canadian authorities are going to know enough about their background that they'll be able to make a decision about how, how they should treat the cases once they arrive here. Is your son a terrorist? He's my son. I know him. Everybody, everybody knows Jack is not a terrorist. The ruling directs the federal government to provide the men with emergency travel documents as soon as possible, but it may be too late. Global Affairs hasn't shown their families proof of life for years. Sandy. All right, Judy, thank you. A shocking death in downtown Toronto today after what may be a random attack. A woman simply walking along the sidewalk was allegedly shoved to the ground and ended up dying. CTV's Heather Wright with what is known about the violent incident and the suspect. 
Just before the lunch hour on a busy Toronto sidewalk, police say a woman was pushed in what may be an unprovoked attack, an attack that left her dead. She was just simply walking along the sidewalk. The woman is believed to be in her 70s or 80s. Paramedics arrived quickly, but she died at the scene. She sustained serious injuries to her face and head area, but at this point in time, as I said, pending the outcome of an autopsy, we can't confirm the cause of death. This woman works across the street and saw the victim lying in the road. Uh, that's what I was nervous about because, like, uh, she, she didn't do anything. After an extensive search, police arrested a man in his 40s who has been charged with aggravated assault, a charge that could be upgraded once the autopsy results are in. It pains me greatly that this happens in our city. Uh, all I would say to the public is just be mindful of your surroundings. A number of random assaults have taken place recently on Toronto streets and inside subway stations. This afternoon, police arrested a man after he allegedly tried to push someone onto the tracks at a Midtown station. In December, a woman was stabbed to death by a stranger on the TTC. And today, the teenage girls accused of swarming and killing an unhoused man last month were in court. Seems like the city is getting a little bit dangerous now. More often, we see this type of news. In a statement, Toronto's mayor said these types of incidents have become far too common. And while the facts of this case are still unknown, he is calling on the province and Ottawa to provide the city with more mental health funding. Sandy. CTV's Heather Wright. Heather, thank you. Police in Kitchener, Ontario now say charges are pending after evidence collected from the scene of a house explosion suggests illicit drug production. A family of four was in the townhouse late Wednesday night when neighbour Josh Barlow ran inside to help. Taking the, the youngest daughter from the, the gentleman that was inside there, brought her down to the sidewalk and wrapped her in my coat, gave her to somebody and then one of the neighbours ended up coming out giving me a flashlight and I went back in to try to help get the, the older daughter out of the, the top floor. Two children have since been discharged from hospital. Their parents remain in care. Well, police in British Columbia revealed today that two brothers who opened fire during a daytime bank robbery six months ago weren't actually after the money. Their real goal was to murder as many officers as possible. CTV's BC Bureau Chief Melanie Nagy reports. Gunfire erupted in a BC neighborhood during a shocking summer bank heist. Now it's believed the two heavily armed robbers were actually bent on killing cops. They were prepared for significant violence and they were motivated by anti-authority beliefs. Last June, Matthew and Isaac Octorloni stormed a Vancouver Island bank filled with people. The brothers were in body armor, carrying semi-automatic rifles and had improvised explosive devices. The objective of the robbery was not to obtain money, but rather to generate an armed confrontation with police. Police say they demanded cash, but when it was handed over, they didn't leave. Instead, they waited 11 minutes and exited once officers arrived. Outside, there was a shootout between the Octorlonis and police. Six officers were injured and the 22-year-olds were killed. The individuals had been plotting an act of extreme violence since at least 2019. Despite investigating for months, today was the first time police publicly shared their thoughts on motive. The brother's social media was littered with pro-gun and anti-government posts. Investigators say they also held strong anti-police views. What occurred that day will have a lasting impact on all those involved, both the officers and the community. 
No one in the bank was hurt, but many are still struggling with the trauma. And some of the officers were so badly hurt, Sandy, that they haven't returned to work. All right, Melanie in Vancouver. Thanks, Mel. On the health front, Canada's top doctor is calling on Canadians to get a COVID booster shot with numbers on the decline, especially among those who are eligible. We still have a ways to go, even for the 65 plus population. About half of them haven't received a full booster, so there's some work to do. Meanwhile, there is progress in discussions between Ottawa and provincial and territorial leaders on health care funding. CTV's senior political correspondent Glenn McGregor has those details. After years of a deadlock on health care funding, signs today that a breakthrough is close. The conversation is stronger now than it used to be just a, a few weeks and certainly a few months ago. That's great news uh, and I, I'm, I, I'm quite optimistic. The premiers have been pushing the federal government to address a system on the verge of collapse in what would be the first major overhaul of health care funding since then Prime Minister Paul Martin's $41 billion fix for a generation. Despite calls for the federal government to carve out separate deals with each province, Ontario's Premier today said he and his counterparts won't be divided. It's not going to be a, a one-off for Ontario, another for someone else. We, we've all agreed, all the Premiers, we all have to work together and uh, stay united and that's exactly what we're going to do. Doug Ford's decision to outsource more surgeries to private clinics to cut wait lists, not an impediment to a new agreement and not seen as a violation of the Canada Health Act. My understanding based on the recent conversations is that those obligations are well understood and will be upheld by whatever changes to the system. But further privatization is not the best solution for a struggling system, say public health care advocates. Introducing more private delivery or private pay in our system highlights the worst and most inefficient aspects of it. A long-awaited meeting between the premiers and the prime minister to finalize a deal on health care could be only weeks away. Then the hard part for the federal government, finding a way, Sandy, to pay for it. Okay, Glenn, thanks for this. A crack in the Western Alliance today, a rift between the U.S. and Germany over supplying tanks to Ukraine. No agreement there, but 50 countries, including Canada, did agree to provide other military aid, including air defense systems, to Kyiv. Here's CTV's chief international correspondent, Paul Workman. An old Ukrainian tank on the move near the besieged town of Bakhmut. Described by crew members as a rolling metal coffin with a death sentence. Look, he says, our military hardware dates back to the 1960s, while Russia's dates back to the 1980s. It makes a big difference. Tanks, specifically German Leopard tanks, were top of the agenda at this summit of international defense ministers, which fell short of Ukraine's hopes and expectations. Russia is concentrating. Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, made his own fruitless plea for Germany to act and act quickly. Every unit helps to save our people from terror, but time, time remains a Russian weapon. The American Secretary of Defense declined to criticize Germany, calling it a reliable ally. What we're really focused on uh, is making sure that uh, Ukraine has the capability uh, that it needs to be successful right now. Tanks are part of the discussion, but there are many items on the table in terms of the requirement for uh, Ukraine to fight and win this war. 
The Leopard 2 battle tank is widely used across Europe and readily available for sending to the Ukrainian front lines. But that can't happen without Germany's permission, and for now, it's not ready to give it. We can't say today when a decision will be made, said the German defense minister, or what that decision will be. Poland has offered to send its Leopard tanks across the border without delay and warned bleakly tonight that the price of German hesitation will be more lost Ukrainian blood, Sandy. Thank you, Paul. CTV's Paul Workman. The war in Ukraine is also affecting the global economy. And today, another tech giant announced layoffs, blaming the current economic reality. Google's parent company, Alphabet, is cutting about 12,000 jobs worldwide, which is 6% of its total workforce. Nearly 50,000 jobs have been slashed in the tech sector in the past month. Time for a short break, but when we come back... We had really clear guidance on what she could do and what she couldn't do. Kids and concussions, new advice for a faster recovery, plus... A triumphant track for the record books. Some groundbreaking research from a group of Canadian scientists has the global medical community rethinking the way concussions in children are treated. The team at the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario found that getting kids back into school soon after a head injury resulted in speedier recovery. Having someone stay in a dark room, just worry, be socially isolated, is probably going to lead to more worries, to more fears, which may trigger more symptoms and create a negative feedback loop. The team found that patients recovered faster, were less stressed, and resumed physical activity sooner. A huge march in the U.S. Capitol today. Anti-abortion protesters making their voices heard as they have every year for 50 years since Roe v. Wade, the ruling that recognized a woman's right to an abortion. That landmark decision was struck down by the U.S. Supreme Court last year. Today's march, the first since that decision, saw protesters pushing for more restrictions. Also today, new details about the investigation into the leak of the draft opinion overturning Roe v. Wade last year. The Supreme Court marshal today revealed she spoke with all of the justices and court employees, though wasn't able to identify who released it. The killing of a former politician from the last elected government in Afghanistan has led to new fears about the safety of women who once held office. She was a vocal critic of the Taliban and was among the thousands trying to escape. CTV's Adrian Gobriel reports. Murdered in her home, three years after being elected as a member of parliament in Afghanistan. She was always talking about uh, women's rights uh, in Afghanistan. On Sunday, Mursal Nabizada and a security guard were shot dead. She was a member of the country's Parliamentary Defense Commission until the Taliban forced her government's collapse. She was one of my best friends. Robina Jalali is one of two women from Afghanistan to represent her country in the 2004 Olympics after the fall of the Taliban. She was expecting like something bad will happen to her. Speaking from Albania, where she's been stuck for 16 months, awaiting word from Canada on her own refugee claim, 
Dr. Loudly says recently, Nabi Zada was desperate to flee Afghanistan, but foreign officials weren't responding to her requests. Herself sent so many emails and no one got back to her until she lost her sweet life. This week, Prime Minister Trudeau acknowledged female MPs remain stranded in the Taliban-controlled country. We have to recognize that the Taliban is not allowing uh, people to leave. The murder of, of, this, of this member of parliament is, is devastating. Six Canadian MPs from across party lines have been working to bring Afghan lawmakers to Canada since October. They put out this joint statement this week calling the Taliban's rule gender apartheid and that no female is safe. That woman is dead because we weren't able to bring her to Canada fast enough. Eight former female MPs remain in Afghanistan. CTV News spoke with one of them this week. Though fearful for her life, she declined to appear on camera. Adrian Gobriel, CTV News, Toronto. Still ahead, Canada offers up a launch pad. Big plans for a piece of an ever-expanding space industry. An update to a story we told you about last night. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak learned his punishment today for not wearing a seatbelt in a moving car. The safety lapse was seen in a video promoting Sunak's new spending program. Sunak has since apologized, and police have fined him 100 British pounds, or 165 Canadian dollars. Well, Canadian space enthusiasts have new reason for excitement after Ottawa announced a program to promote rocket launches starting on Canada's east coast. CTV's Quebec Bureau Chief Genevieve Beauchemin has the details on the plan to connect Canadian soil with the cosmos. The view from above says it all. Canada is vast, surrounded by three oceans, and it seems an ideal spot for a launch pad to space. On my command, trigger. Today at the space agency, Ottawa announced its plan to allow commercial space flights to take off from Canadian soil. We have a strong space ecosystem here in Canada, and this was one of the missing links. Four. That three, missing link will mean two, space sports in one. Canada to put satellites into orbit. Everybody wants to be interconnected. Everybody wants to have large broadband capability. So the demand will continue. Whether it's for telecommunications or monitoring climate change, landing a spot on a launch pad is already competitive. On January 10th, SpaceX tweeted it had four rockets set to go and two in orbit. Near a fishing village in Nova Scotia, a company called Maritime Launch is building a spaceport. Some opponents have invoked environmental concerns and worry about the fallout in case of an explosion. But the company says it has conducted dozens of studies and that today's announcement will help propel its site to the next phase. That location fits perfectly. In that northeastern corner there is nothing but ocean all the way down to South America and the coast of Africa. Uh, great high-definition views from there. Booking space tourism out of Canada isn't for the near future, but the president of the space agency is looking forward to the first satellite launch. Children, parents, uh, science enthusiasts, everyone comes out to watch because we need the perspective of space more than ever. It shows us our fragile uh, planet. But just how soon a commercial flight will take off from Canadian soil is for now still a mystery. Geneviève Beauchemin, CTV News at the Canadian Space Agency in St. Hubert, Quebec. And scientists here on Earth will have the opportunity to study what's probably the world's largest toad. 
Nicknamed Toadzilla, rangers discovered this almost three kilogram beast in Australia's Conway National Park. And looked down and um, yeah, right near my feet, there was this monster cane toad and um, it shocked us. But the animal is a destructive invasive species in that country. It was euthanized and sent to a museum for further study and to confirm its record status. After the break, the adventurer who shattered records. Each morning, I felt it was a major challenge to, uh, to put my skis on. A Canadian filmmaker's solo trek to the South Pole. We leave you tonight with an achievement worth acknowledging. Imagine cross-country skiing in bitterly cold temperatures, the wind at your face, and doing it alone for more than a thousand kilometers. Well, Caroline Cote, a Quebec polar explorer, did just that and became the fastest woman on earth to accomplish this milestone. CTV's Vanessa Lee has her story. Back in the comfort of home, <sighs> Caroline Cote is unpacking the enormity of her latest feat. Not only did she make it to the South Pole on her own, she did it faster than any woman on skis before her, shattering the previous record by five days. I'm really happy not to have broken this record, but just uh, that I never stopped in the expedition. I felt it was a major challenge to put my skis on and to start the day. For 33 days, she battled dangerous wind chills, whiteout conditions, and altitude sickness, tugging a 65-kilogram sled with all of her gear and food. We just add some water in that, and this is uh, vegan uh, meals. Each uh, day I was eating uh, 6,000 to 6,500 uh, calories. A grueling 1,138-kilometer trek through the breathtaking yet monotonous landscape. The only thing was that I wanted to go fast, to be able to rest really fast, to, to be able to arrive to a good meal, to arrive to a good shower. The 36-year-old is an endurance athlete and an experienced polar explorer. Despite overcoming problems with her skis and solar panels, she says nothing prepared her for weeks of solitude. I needed some really good podcast and really good audiobook and uh, listening to some stories about uh, some really inspiring people. I was able to, uh, to ski all day and uh, thinking about something else that uh, only kilometers to do, yeah. <laughs> the only thing she's looking forward to now is resting and catching up on what she missed, like Christmas dinner with her family, as they celebrate the milestone of a lifetime. Vanessa Lee, CTV News, Montreal. How amazing is that? Well, that's our newscast for this Friday. Thank you for sharing your time with us. I'm Sandy Ronaldo. John Ehrlichman is here tomorrow. For Omar and all of us at CTV National News, good night. Have a good weekend. <laughs>